Welcome to another episode of NeuroPodCases, a clinical neuroscience podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of NeuroPodCases. In this podcast episode, we're moving away from the patient bedside and are instead going to focus on some of the preclinical research currently being undertaken in the field of neurological infectious diseases. Uh, to do this, I'm joined by Dr. Laura Briscio Marino, who is a postdoctoral research fellow at the Massachusetts General Hospital in, uh, at Harvard Medical School and is a basic scientist with experience in viral encephalitis and bacterial meningitis. So, hi, Laura. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, John. Uh, thanks for having me. Today, I would like to talk about some of the preclinical research you're currently doing. Um, um, before we get into that, I just wanted to start with a, a slightly more broader question, really. Um, can you tell us what, what we mean by the term encephalitis and what are the potential causes for it? Yeah, so um, encephalitis is a condition uh, that is characterized by inflammation of the brain parenchyma, and it leads to different neurological dysfunctions or encephalopathy. And that is characterized by edema, hemorrhage, uh, necrotic changes of the parenchyma. And, and people can have different um, symptoms. So there's an altered level of consciousness, uh, lethargy, personality change, short-term memory deficits, language changes, seizures, fever, headaches. So it's a very broad spectrum of uh, symptoms. And there's uh, two main uh, potential causes. One is infection and the other one is uh, autoimmune. So about 40 to 50% of uh, encephalitis are due to infection. And the, the leading cause is HSV, uh, which is herpes simplex uh, virus and the Japanese encephalitis virus. Um, then there's about 20 to 30% of encephalitis cases that are due to um, autoimmune disease and the, the most uh, prevalent one is the anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis, uh, which is characterized by, the, by an increase in antibodies against the uh, NMDA receptor in serum NCSF of patients. And then there's about 20% of patients that we don't know the cause of, of the encephalitis. Okay, thanks. So your research has really looked at um, viral encephalitis, in particular HSV1 infection causing encephalitis. Um, can you just tell us from a pathological perspective, what are the changes that occur in the brain uh, during HSV1 infection? Yeah, so uh, during HSV1 infection in the brain, there is an early migration of neutrophils and monocytes. There is increased broadband barrier permeability, uh, which leads to cerebral edema, which is swelling on, of the brain. Um, there's different papers that have been published that look at the uh, amount of different markers in the CSF of, of patients. And it's been seen that during HSV-1 uh, encephalitis, there is an increase in cytokines and chemokines such as IL-1-alpha, IL-1-beta, CXCL-1. Um, there's an increase in neutrophils, and there's also an increase in inflammatory markers such as uh, MPO. In a previous podcast discussion with um, a colleague of yours and mine, Dr. Benedict Michael, uh, we talked about the importance of starting patients on treatment with acyclovir as soon as HSV encephalitis might be suspected. Now, why is it that even despite this treatment and even early treatment, why is it patients can suffer severe disability and even, even die from this condition? What, what's happening there? 
Yeah, so acyclovir treatment has been used since uh, since the 80s, um, and it's been a great treatment uh, for encephalitis, HSV encephalitis uh, patients, uh, because there used to be a mortality of 70% in patients with HSV encephalitis, and thanks to acyclovir, this mortality has been reduced from 70% to 10 to 20%. However, the um, the the disability that the HSV encephalitis causes, it's still pretty high. So it's gone from about 97% to still 70% uh, of people that, um, that, that develop the HSV encephalitis and survive, they still uh, have uh, neurological problems and sequelae that remain for forever or for a very long time. So the reason why acyclovir is reducing the mortality, but it's still having high numbers of morbidity is because uh, we know that there is an increase of uh, leukocytes in the brain. So there's an inflammation that is ongoing in the brain despite um, the reduction of virus due to acyclovir. So that is what um, now we're trying to, to solve is trying to reduce the inflammation because we now have acyclovir and acyclovir reduces the number of virus uh, now we need to reduce the inflammation so that there's less morbidity uh, caused by HSV encephalitis. Okay. So um, often at the bedside, when you're managing a patient with suspected encephalitis, um, the decision will be made to start acyclovir. And then the question of whether or not to also start steroids is raised. I understand it's still a bit controversial uh, without a clear-cut answer. Are you able to talk in terms of, from a scientific perspective, about that debate and, uh, and what we know and what we don't know? Yeah. So steroids are broad immune suppressive drugs. And what they do is they reduce the inflammation in general. So they don't target any specific uh, cell types during uh, the reduction of inflammation. So there is, um, there is a problem, which means uh, that reducing the, the full inflammatory response of the brain during an infection can lead to increased viral replication. Um, so it is a potential treatment that needs to be studied. Um, there's different studies for other brain infections that have been done with uh, steroids, and there's been very mixed results. So for example, for pneumococcal meningitis, there is, uh, it has been shown that steroids improve the outcome of patients. However, when the meningitis is caused by other bacteria like Haemophilus influenza or Neisseria meningitis, the, the, the results are not so good. So maybe they improve um, in some aspects, but not in others. And then there's other, um, other infectious agents like cryptococcal meningitis, where not only it's not beneficial, but it's also worse for the outcome of the patient. So, a lot of studies have to be done uh, before deciding whether um, steroids are a good option for HSV encephalitis patients. And there's been a clinical trial was done recently in Germany where they were comparing uh, patients with and without um, dexamethasone treatment. And they didn't see a lot of uh, difference, uh, but the, the cohort of patients was very small. So now in the UK, there's uh, a big human trial that where they're testing uh, placebo versus dexamethasone in HSV encephalitis patients. And, and hopefully that's going to give us uh, a better idea of whether dexamethasone uh, or 
steroids in general are a good treatment for HSV encephalitis patients. Excellent. So moving, moving on uh, more specifically to some of the work that you've done, you recently published in Nature Cell Reports some of the experimental work that you've done looking at the factors that govern neutrophil migration into the CNS following HSV1 infection. I think before we talk about the specifics of your work, I think people listening would be quite interested to know about how we would do uh, preclinical experiments with HSV encephalitis and how you would model that in a laboratory setting. Um, are you able to talk about some of the practical considerations that have to be taken into account with this? Yeah, so when you are setting up a mouse model of infection, um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done before you actually get to a good model that works. Um, there's different routes of, inf of infection. There's different mouse strains that you can use. So there's a lot of work that has to be done to evaluate which model um, is the correct one. So which route of infection, which mouse to use, and uh, what the dose of the, of the viral or bacterial infection um, might be. Um, but then once you establish one, you have to make sure that it correlates with human disease. So for example, the model that we currently are using in, in the lab uh, to study HSV1 encephalitis, we use um, a needle that has like a Teflon tube covering the needle um, and it has a, a specific depth that it can go through. So the tube limits the depth of the needle. And then we inject directly into the brain and we inject 10 to the four to 10 to the five um, viral particles into the brain directly. And what we've seen is that the virus um, actually goes to the hippocampus. So that's the preferential area of infection, which actually replicates what happens in humans. And we see that symptoms that are seen in humans like seizures and um, weight loss or other, that's the kind of signs that we look at um, for, for mice, um, for mouse illness, um, that it's, it's also there. So you have to make sure that the disease replicates uh, in terms of symptoms and in terms of um, the pathology of the actual or pathogenesis of the actual disease. Okay. That's great. And um, what was the specific hypothesis you were you were testing with the work that you've recently done? So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, some of the work that my colleagues have done in the past, uh, they, they've seen that in patients, um, in the CSF of patients with HSV encephalitis, there's an increase in certain chemokines and there's an increase in neutrophils. So we were working with the hypothesis that um, there's a, during HSV encephalitis, there is um, damage of the blood-brain barrier. There is an increase in neutrophils in the parenchyma of the brain, and that actually leads to uh, neuroglial damage. So the neurons, astrocytes, and other glial cells in the parenchyma of the brain are actually dying due to the uh, to the increased number of neutrophils. So neutrophils are great because they help clear infections, but when there's too much inflammation and too much um, neutrophil infiltration, that can be counterproductive. So they can end up uh, producing um, substances that are actually aimed against the, the virus per se, but they actually end up also uh, hurting the, the cells of the brain. So, so yeah, that's something that you have to have in mind. So our study was trying to look at what the, well, whether the, the, the 
the things that we've seen in humans can actually be replicated and be seen in the mice. So we saw that um, when you infect mice with HSV encephalitis, there's actually an increase in neutrophils um, in the parenchyma of the brain. There's also an increase in, um, in CXCL1 production, in CCL2 production. So those are actually chemokines. Uh, those are um, proteins that, uh, signaling proteins that lead to the recruitment of different um, cell types. So for, for example, CXCL1 leads to the recruitment of neutrophils, CCL2 can lead to the recruitment of monocytes. So by seeing that an increase in those uh, chemokines in the brain during HSV encephalitis, uh, we can see that there is also an increase in, in, in the cell types that these signalings um, are actually attracting. So we saw that there is really an increase in neutrophils, there is an increase in inflammatory monocytes, and, and, and then we decided to use um, knockout mice. So a knockout mouse is a mouse that is lacking uh, some kind of protein or receptor. So for example, we use uh, CXCR2 knockout mice. So those um, receptors are in the neutrophils and CXCR1 is a ligand for CXCR2. And what happens is uh, when there's an increase in CXCR1, um, these receptors from the neutrophils are attracted to that area. So by increasing CXCR1 in the brain, there is an increase in neutrophils in the brain. So when you use a, a mouse that is lacking the receptor for that ligand, that means that even if there is an increase in CXCL1, there's gonna be no neutrophils coming over because there is nothing to detect that signal. So what we did, we used those mice that are lacking the, the receptor for CXCL1, and we saw that there is a reduction in neutrophils in the brain of these mice when they're infected with HSV. Uh, there's also a decrease in the damage of blood-brain barriers. And there's also a decrease, and, and this is the most important thing, a decrease in mortality and morbidity. So those mice that are lacking the CXCR2 receptor, they survive uh, better and they actually show less morbidity signs. So that kind of shows us that this interaction between CXCR1 and CXCR2 from neutrophils is very important for the development of the disease. So if we, if we block this interaction in some way, we can lead to a reduction of neutrophils and that can lead to improved survival. And we also prove that in other ways. So you can also use, um, so you can use the knockout mouse and you can also use an antibody that blocks the CXCL1 uh, signal. Um, with this, uh, antibody, we saw the same results. So there was a decrease in the number of neutrophils in the parenchyma, and there is, um, um, yeah, so by having less neutrophils in the parenchyma, there is uh, increased survival. And again, there's another type of antibody that we can use, which is uh, a neutrophil depleting antibody. So what it's doing is it's literally depleting neutrophils. So there's no neutrophils. So when you infect the mice with HSV, um, there's no neutrophils that are recruited into the parenchyma just because there's no neutrophils around. And that also led to increased uh, survival and decreased mor morbidity of the mice. So that basically was telling us that uh, when you are using a cyclovir, you're reducing the viral load, but you're not reducing uh, inflammation. 
So when you use uh, other antibodies or other treatments to reduce this entrance of neutrophils into the parenchyma, you can actually uh, modulate the, um, the immune response and you can lead to reduced um, mor morbidity and reduced mortality. Okay, so so I guess just to, to, to summarize that then, so when you block the CXCR2 receptor, um, does that alter um, clearance of viral load in those in those mice or does it block the effects of acyclovir or does it does it actually just prevent the inflammation that can cause uh, more harm? Yeah, so it doesn't really alter the, um, the effect of acyclovir. So they still, um, so acyclovir does reduce the viral load uh, to a certain extent um, in the mouse, but the reduction of neutrophil, uh, I mean, we haven't really looked into that uh, in depth, but it, it, it shouldn't lead to um, increased viral replication. Okay. So, I mean, what you're describing, and you, you conclude this in the paper, is that the CXCL1 and CXCR2 axis re, uh, represents a potentially quite an attractive therapeutic target then uh, for patients who have HSV encephalitis, whereby you can yeah. still still give a cyclovir that would hopefully reduce viral load, uh, but potentially block some of the um, uh, the inflammation, the, the sort of parenchymal inflammation that could cause severe morbidity. Um, are there any ongoing studies looking at this in animal models? So that is something that we're doing now. So we want to look at the effect of um, steroids, as you mentioned earlier, dexamethasone, which is a broad immune suppressive drug. Um, and then we also want to look at more specific um, drugs like IL-1RA, uh, which is uh, the IL-1 receptor antagonist. Uh, this is a commercially avail available drug, uh, which is, is is um, known as Kinneret or Anakinra, depending on the country. And this is a drug that is usually used for rheumatoid arthritis. And we've seen in our mouse model, we've done a, a preliminary um, experiment, and we saw that when you give IL-1A to these mice, there's a reduction in CXPL1, which is the, the ligand that leads to the increased neutrophil infiltration in the brain. So if you use IL-1A, potentially you can reduce the XL1 and reduce neutrophil infiltration and therefore reduce uh, mortality and reduce morbidity in patients. Okay, and, and that's, that's ongoing work, is it, at the moment? Yeah, so this is ongoing work. It's very preliminary um, work, so we still don't have many results from that, but um, hopefully yeah. in the next few months we'll have some, some exciting data. Good, excellent. Uh, so, thank you. I mean, you've you've covered um, we've covered quite a lot of ground um, in this discussion. Uh, what would you say are the kind of the the three you know three or four take home messages from the research that you've done? What do you, what do you think are the big conclusions for people? Yeah, so I think that the big conclusion is um, even though we're looking at a viral infection of the brain, uh, just reducing the viral load in the brain is not enough. So we need to also look at reducing the inflammation that is um, ongoing despite um, acyclovir treatment. We need to identify what leukocytes are infiltrating in the brain and which ones are, um, are uh, damaging the brain. How exactly does this happen? So we know that the, the neutrophils are important, but we don't know how exactly uh, 
uh, this happens. So ideally we want to know uh, what the neurons, uh, astrocytes, and endothelial cells, which are um, in the blood-brain barrier, uh, what they're doing and how this is leading to the increase in neutrophils. And then this will give us potential targets to, um, to use as treatments for HSC encephalitis patients so that we can reduce mortality and morbidity um, by using a cyclovir and these potential other drugs. Excellent. Well, th thanks very much for joining us today, Laura. That's been a really um, useful discussion. And hopefully we can we can get you back to discuss with us at some point uh, when, when maybe we're a bit further along with this. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you so much great. for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information about this episode, please visit our website at neuropodcases.co.uk.